Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 5 The cacophony of vendors hawking their wares nearly drowned out the despairing thoughts resonating about the inside of Baz's skull. At least I'll finally have a chance to complete Tessa's quest, he mused. Yes, perfect. A chance to break into the most powerful library in fortune, probably all of oration, to search for and then steal, something he doubted even truly existed. Scribes curse him a fool. Why was he even thinking that far ahead? He'd be arrested and relieved of his head before he even managed to set foot inside that library. Baz laughed bitterly, drawing several concerned looks from passers-by. Aside from the area immediately surrounding erstwhile's conservatory, the market was the only truly neutral ground in all the city outside the territories claimed by each of its nine libraries. There were a few permanent structures for the most established merchants, with banners depicting the wares sold within, colored dots in copper, silver, and gold indicating prices, Mostly, however, it was just a collection of hastily erected tents and stalls. Whenever the wind blew, which was frequent there in the shadow of the daggers, the canvas roofs were liable to flap about or even fly away completely, giving the market more the air of a camp for the homeless rather than a place where one might wish to spend a bit of coin. All the disorganization was centered around a curious stone fountain that Baz had always considered to be entirely out of place with the rest of the surroundings. It was a multi-tiered, circular affair, water burbling from a spout at the top and cascading down to the lower levels. Torches hung from sconces set at equidistant intervals around the circumferences of the top two tiers, and around the fountain's base was a garden of red orchids. No matter how bad the weather, those flowers always appeared as if they'd just been planted. Baz was just about to turn down the side street leading to Deliritus's tailor when a commotion from the other side of the fountain stopped him. At first, it was merely a few discontented shouts, pretty commonplace for the market, a haggler not getting his way, or perhaps one man's ill-constructed stall toppling into that of his neighbors. But soon it seemed like half the illets milling about the market were crying out, none of them happy. Baz knew he ought to just ignore it, but at that moment 
he'd take any excuse short of death to delay having to return to Deliritus. He changed direction, walking toward the shouts. After pushing through several throngs of bystanders, he discovered the source of the crowd's consternation. Next time you'll remember to bow when you pass a reader in the street. A young man, little more than a boy really, stood over a slightly older boy who was lying in the street propped up on one arm and glaring upward. The upright boy was dressed in a bright red shirt with amethyst showing at the cuffs. A cape hung down his back, secured at his throat by a golden pin in the shape of a tower. Baz really ought to have stayed clear. That was Lighten Xavier, younger brother to the late Hellar Xavier, and with his brother's death, now the heir to erstwhile's most powerful library. He had the same grayish-blue eyes as his brother, reminiscent of tombstones. Unlike the perpetually disinterested expression his brother had possessed, though, Lighten's revealed plenty. Currently, it showed the petulant anger of a child. Baz glowered down at the torch-sire sigil stitched on his robes, knowing the risk he ran by displaying the symbol anywhere within a thousand yards of a Xavier. Despite Deliritus's repeated denials, Xavier Library had refused to accept that he'd had nothing to do with Hellar's failure to return from the trials. The older boy at Lighten's feet had blood trickling from one of his nostrils. His head was shaved, though there was enough stubble to show it was blonde. He wore dark robes and had a dragon branded between his eyes, just like Baz, though the sigil on his black robe was that of a barrow, marking him from William Library. I'll be sure to be more careful next time, the supine speaker replied with obvious scorn. Lighten kicked the speaker in the ribs, causing the unfortunate young man to cry out and curl around his midsection. You dare direct such insolence at me? Lighten lift his leg, apparently preparing to stop down on the speaker's head. Stop! Baz briefly looked around wondering who'd be foolish enough to intervene in such an altercation. Then Baz realized every face in the crowd was looking at him. Why, Baz, why can't you ever just shut up? Instead of crushing the speaker's head beneath his boot, Lighten spun, following the crowd's eyes to the spot where Baz stood. The youth eyed Baz up and down, eyes narrowing to slits as they moved over the torch-sire sigil on Baz's garments. You! he sneered, taking several steps toward Baz. Baz glanced over his shoulder, preparing to run, but the gap in the crowd through which he'd come had closed. Father promised he'd take care of any fines the table might levy should we find a torch-sire alone in the streets and he'll be doubly pleased that I've come upon the very speaker responsible for my brother's death. For an instant, Baz considered feigning submission. That's what any sensible speaker in his position would have done. But scribes blast it! He'd just spent the past hour eating submission sandwiches from two dukes and that book 
Sterner Deliritus. You may have noticed, young Dukeling, Baz said, glancing around at the crowd. I'm not exactly alone, and your father ought to check his facts. Deliritus had nothing to do with your brother's disappearance. Not that Hellar didn't get exactly what he deserved. The whole diatribe was the next worst thing to slitting his own wrists, but that last bit was particularly ill-advised. Lighten's face colored until it matched his shirt. Strovel! the Xavier heir shouted. For the first time, Baz noticed the masked harbor looming behind Lighten. He wasn't as tall as rocks. Few men were, but he was still at least double Baz's size, each arm as wide around as one of Baz's legs. At the Xavier boy's cry, the harbor stepped forward, brandishing his razor. Baz abandoned the arrogant posture he'd assumed and prepared to begin pushing through the crowd at his back. Don't start something you can't finish, reader. The Williams speaker Lighten had assaulted was now upright. He'd wiped the blood from his face and stood with arms crossed in defiance. I think you'll find that you've few friends here should you start murdering speakers in broad daylight. The Williams speaker glanced around at the crowd. Baz looked as well, seeing anger, or worse, in the expressions of many of those gathered. Lighten opened his mouth in retort, but his words died as he too looked around. For several moments, Baz could see him calculating how many of the assembled onlookers his harbor could mutilate before they reached him. Finally, he must have figured that it wouldn't be enough to save his own hide. He spun back to face Baz. When my father hears of this, you'll wish you'd died on the trials. It will be the whipping post until you're mad with pain, then the wheel. With a jerk of his head at his harbor, the pair pushed their way through the crowd opposite Baz. He let out a long breath and patted his chest a few times to reassure himself that he was still actually in one piece. You make a habit of nearly getting murdered by readers in the street? Bass started, not having realized the Williams speaker had approached him. He gave a nervous laugh, rubbing at the back of his head, finding it was coated in perspiration. Do you? The Williams speaker chuckled, sounding far more at ease than Baz thought a sane man ought to, given what he'd just gone through. I'm Oakston, the speaker said, holding out a hand, though most people just call me Oaks. Now that he was right in front of Baz, he could see that Oaks's nose was crooked, as if it had been broken multiple times. Both of his ears were also bloated with scar tissue. Clearly, he was no stranger to a fight. On the one hand, Baz could respect that. Scribes knew he didn't like taking orders from Deliritus, or anyone for that matter. But on the other side of the guilt, anyone rash enough to bear such visible scars was likely in a perpetual courtship with trouble, and that was a mistress whose bed Baz had no desire to even approach much less attempt to jump in. Still, Oges had just saved him from a potential date with the teeth of that harbor's razor. Bastion, 
He grasped Og's hand for the briefest time that wouldn't seem outright impolite, then quickly pulled away. Og's eyes rose, quickly darting to the sigil on Baz's robes before returning to his eyes. The same bastion who accompanied Deliritus Torchsire on the trials? Baz shrugged, crossing his arms. I'm the only bastion I know. Oggs scratched at some stubble beneath his chin. He looked briefly from side to side, then leaned closer to Baz. How would you like to cause some real trouble for the readers of this city? Chapter 6 On any ordinary day, Baz would have given Oggs a thanks but no thanks and been on his way. But this was exactly the wrong sort of day for Baz to have been asked that question. Create some trouble for Deliritus? That sounded far more enjoyable than haggling over oats in the market and debasing himself to Deliritus's tailor. The foolishness of his decision slowly dawned on Baz as he accompanied Ogs through the twisting streets of Lower Erstwhile. Their surroundings went from the typically dilapidated buildings Baz was accustomed to passing on his errands, to downright destitute parts of the city that Baz had never possessed the need nor inclination to visit. Illits in this quarter were too poor to even afford readings, depending solely on the charity of the conservators for sustenance. In exchange, they worked some truly awful jobs. They passed a single-story stone structure that extended down the length of the block. It had an enormous chimney protruding from the center of its roof, belching smoke dark as pitch into Erstwhile's dreary skies. Baz doubted it was as tall as Xavier Tower. The Xaviers wouldn't permit another building to rob them of that distinction. But the mere fact that the tallest building in Erstwhile even seemed an apt comparison exemplified just how tall the chimney was. The building's roof also appeared to be made of thin sheets of metal, a material far too expensive for the indigent surroundings. As they turned a bend in the street, the entrance to the odd building came into view. It was flanked by a pair of conservatory enforcers, the sigil of quill and dagger stitched upon their white robes, marking them as members of the militia. Their faces were hidden by hoods. This was a factory, where the elemental inks needed for restoration of books were made. The process was a secret the conservators held close. What wasn't a secret, however, was how dangerous and intensive that process was, and the only place one could find folk desperate enough to engage in such labor was here in the decrepit loins of Lower Erstwhile. Likely it was just his imagination, but as Baz stared at the building and its enforcer guards, he would have sworn he heard a faint cry of agony coming from within the factory. Why here? Baz hissed. While there was no one within obvious hearing distance, the factory's ominous presence imbued in him a desire to remain as inconspicuous as possible. Ogs raised an eyebrow, 
the motion accentuating the grotesque angularity of his nose. It didn't peg you as one to be afraid of a couple enforcers, Oggs said, voice pitched for ordinary conversation. You don't know the first thing about me, Baz said, keeping his voice low. The real fools are the ones who don't admit to being afraid. Fear is a great indicator that you're walking into something you'll regret, and I have more than enough regrets already. For some reason, Oggs actually seemed to find some profundity in that statement, glancing over Baz's shoulder at the factory. Baz followed the William speaker's eyes and realized that the factory was entirely lacking in windows. He shuddered involuntarily. And it's not the enforcers I'm worried about, Baz continued, glaring back at Oggs. Any speaker with ears has heard the stories about the factories, how the conservators pluck unfortunate wanderers off the streets and consign them to working in there, operating the contraptions used to extract the elemental essence necessary for the inks. One wrong move, and you'll find your arm crushed in a mill or face burned off by boiling ether. Yeah, muttered Oggs. I know the stories. And if some of the beggars who hang around Lower Erstwhile near William are any indication, there's more truth to them than I'd like to think. Missing limbs, covered in scars. Oggs shut his eyes for a moment, but his face quickly hardened and when his eyes opened, they held a fighter's resolve. That's why something needs to be done. The enforcers don't leave their posts at the factory doors, and few people wander the streets here, so it makes for a good hiding place. Come on, it's not far. Hiding place? Bloody burning books! What was Oggs dragging him to? And why hadn't Baz had sense enough to ask that question before agreeing to follow him? But Oggs was already a dozen paces ahead, and Baz didn't think he could find his way back alone. That meant either risk being caught by the enforcers or following Oggs, which was no choice at all. They passed through several narrow streets. The buildings to either side were made of rough stone covered in soot, presumably from the smoke produced by the factories. Baz caught sight of another smokestack or two, but thankfully they didn't pass close by any of the other sinister factories. Finally, just when Baz was starting to reconsider whether he might actually be better off attempting to find his way back on his own, Oggs stopped at a gap between two buildings. Turning sideways, he began to shuffle through, motioning for Baz to follow. The passage was so tight, Baz doubted a man like Rox could have even fit through, which, come to think of it, was likely the point. Wherever Oggs was taking him, Baz doubted he wished any harbors finding it. After maybe ten or so feet, the passageway opened onto a small courtyard. Well... Calling it a courtyard was generous. It was really just a space between the surrounding buildings that had apparently been forgotten by time, as there seemed no access to it other than the gap through which they'd come. There was a rectangular opening at the area's center, framed in stone blocks, 
stairs descending down into darkness. Oogs took the stairs without comment, leaving Baz no alternative but to follow, cursing his curiosity the whole way. At the bottom of the stairs was a small landing that led straight to a closed door. Oogs wrapped on it in a complex pattern that Baz immediately forgot. A moment later, as if someone on the other side had been waiting for the signal, a slot two-thirds up the door opened and a set of skeptical eyes peered out. Oogs? That you? Yeah. Right. The slot began to close, and Baz heard a lock click on the other side. But before the door could open, Oogs slammed a palm onto it. Whoever was on the other side gave a small squawk of surprise. Munch, what have I told you? You can't let anyone in unless they know the prophecy. The slot slid back open, the eyes reappearing. But it's you, Oogs. Angel, help me, Munch. It's dark as the great library out here. How can you be certain it's really me? Or what if I was being forced to open the door? I could give you the warning word instead. All right, the voice from the other side of the door said, sounding slightly abashed. He'll speak the words to set us free, Oggs responded. That's it. Now the voice on the other side of the door sounded exasperated. Come on in. Baz raised an eyebrow. That had been a line from the Declaimer's Transcendence, the only line of the ancient prophecy that had survived the burning. Madame Scrivener Tessa, the woman who led the secret community living beneath the ruined city of Tome, had coerced Baz into promising to find the rest of it. That these people used the Transcendence as a password only increased the trepidation crawling about Baz's innards. If they had a connection to the Keepers in Undertome, then Baz was stepping into a world of danger he hadn't even known existed in erstwhile. The door swung open, revealing a lanky boy who couldn't have been over fifteen. He had a big nose, dirt-streaked cheeks, and cropped yellow hair just like Oak's. A set of scales was branded on his forehead, marking him an influencer, and a small leather pouch hung at his neck from a thin cord. He squawked in surprise when he saw Baz. Who's this? Bastion. Munch stared at Baz with his mouth slightly ajar for several moments before looking back to Oogs. The Bastion? Oogs began to answer, but Baz cut in. Hold on a minute. What do you mean, the Bastion? It's just Bastion. I'm a speaker, just like you. Just like me? The boy gave an incredulous laugh. Can't fool a worm. You stand up to readers, to their faces. You don't take snakes from anybody. Snakes? Oogs stepped between Baz and Munch, an apologetic smile on his face. Just a saying we've adopted. They slither about and make people ill, just like readers. Munch cackled. But we're also just like snakes. We spend most of our time down here, and if you take your eyes off us, we'll bite you in the... That's enough, Munch. Bastion didn't come here to listen to crude jokes. Actually, I don't mind, Baz said. 
None of the speakers in Torchsire Library would so much as look at him for fear of being associated with the brother of a speaker who had learned to read. Baz couldn't recall the last time someone had told him a joke. Don't encourage him, Oges said. My brother's insufferable once you get him talking. As if to prove the point, Munch said, So is it true what they say about you, Bastion? What they say about me? Why did this pair act like they knew him? He'd never seen them before in his life. Well, that if it wasn't for you, Marquis Torchsire wouldn't have won the trials. I've heard some people say he wouldn't have even made it back. Before his mind caught up with his body's reaction, Baz had sidestepped Ogs and shoved Munch against the wall. With his other hand, Baz jabbed a finger into Munch's face. Where did you hear that? Munch's eyes expanded to the size of saucers. Well, what do you mean? Just around, you know. Ever since you came back, it's been the talk amongst us speakers. Just rumors. No idea who first told me. Rumors? Who could possibly be spreading talk like that? If Deliritus ever heard these rumors... Whoa, Bastion, easy. It's just banter. Happens every year. Whoever the winning speaker is gets put up on a bit of a pedestal. Come on, you know, you're one of us. Baz glanced to the side. Og's face was calm, but he was reaching beneath his robe for... something. Baz didn't want to find out what, and he was probably right. It was just idle chat. Baz couldn't say he was particularly familiar with the small talk of other speakers, as none of the other Torchsire speakers ever talked to him, but it made sense. Letting out a long breath, he released Munch and took a step back. Ogs visibly relaxed. Sorry, Baz muttered. What else do they say about me? Munch rubbed at his chest where Baz had pushed him. That you're kind of a page ripper. Munch! Oaks exclaimed. A harsh insult, to be sure, but Baz could only laugh. Suppose I deserve that. Munch gave him a grudging smile. All right, that's enough introductions, Oaks said. The others will be waiting, and I think tonight might finally be the night. Really? Munch said, face suddenly aglow with excitement. Finally, it's been months now. He ran off down the hall that was on the other side of the door. Baz watched him go, then looked back to Oaks. An uneasy knot began to form in his stomach. It dawned on him to wonder how a couple of slaves managed to spend so much time down here away from their libraries. And what if Baz didn't like the answer? He doubted he could squeeze back through that gap above without Ogs catching him, and that crooked nose was a clear reminder that Baz wouldn't do well in a fistfight against him. The night for what? Baz asked. Ogs grinned, looking nearly as excited as his brother had. The poison. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is August 21st, 2022, as I record this, which is uh, episode 5 
of season two of the podcast and episode 32 overall, I do believe. Man, I never really thought I'd get to so many episodes that I'd start losing count, but there you go. Yes, it's episode 32. Um, hope you enjoyed chapters five and six of Declaimer's Discovery that we just read. Uh, no analysis this week. Uh, I think I think we'll be back to doing analysis next week. Actually, I haven't decided on next week's uh, reading assignment yet, so why don't we uh, pull out the old Declaimer's Discovery here, and you can watch the uh, the super complex way I decide uh, what we're going to read for next week. Let's see, thumbing through the old book here. We just read chapter six. Chapter seven, how many pages is that? Let's see, it starts on 51. And it goes until, ooh, this is a long one, 63. All right, yeah, so we'll just be reading chapter seven next week, I believe, unless chapter eight is particularly short. No, not particularly short. So, yeah. So we'll read Chapter 7 next week, and then I'll probably do some analysis <coughs> of those three chapters uh, next week's episode. Generally, if I like to keep the readings between 10 and 15 pages, and uh, if it's shorter than that, then it's definitely a good candidate for an analysis week. But I, f I find anything anything over 10 pages is kind of enough for a, a full podcast of at least 30 minutes so there you go there's your look behind the curtain for this week um i guess i'll give a p quick personal update here i think as uh, as my newsletter subscribers saw i uh i'm not totally finished with the manuscript for um hold on just adjusting the camera here uh, the manuscript for book four, Declaimers Stand, quite yet. I had said I finished my edits, but I am. <laughs> I have gone back and, and I'm working on another final, uh, I swear it's final this time, read through. Uh, just tightening up some language, fixing a few more typos. But uh, I read through the first few chapters. And I found enough, mostly just like stuff where I was like, oh, I could have said this in three words instead of six. Uh, so just tightening that kind of stuff up and adding a couple more descriptions where I think necessary. But definitely in the final cleanup stages of that now. Um, it's in the re hands of my advanced readers, and uh, my editor is giving it a proofread. So um, excited for that to be released September 16th. It's really just right around the corner, which is kind of depressing in that it means summer is almost over. But, uh, oh, well, that's a uh, funny thing about time is it, never stops moving forward there at least not in the real world here i've written some time travel stuff where you might be able to argue that point but unfortunately that's not reality um, and speaking of time travel i am working on a short story here that involves time travel and uh if folks like it enough uh, i have ideas to make a kind of a ongoing series of short stories i think that might be something uh i use for my patrons kind of a, as an inducement to have people subscribe into the Patreon, though I'll probably release the first couple of stories for free to everyone, so you guys can see them and, and see if you see if you like it. And uh, just a reminder about the Patreon, that is, that is live now, so if you'd like to uh, join me over on Patreon and 
give me a little extra support for all the content I'm uh, putting out here, uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash dtkane. Uh, all Patreon describer, subscribers, uh, starting at the lowest $3.99 per month tier, receive free copies of all of my ebooks uh, and a uh, bonus podcast episode each month, among other things. Uh, and then you can kind of go up from there. The middle, the middle tier, you also get all of my physical books uh, for $9.99 a month, in addition to the ebooks and the free podcast. Um, and then, uh, if you really want to go all out and go to the declaimer tier, which is fourteen ninety nine a month, uh, in addition to everything I just mentioned, you get uh, access to uh, the drafts of my new stories. I actually have a Google Doc that I will share with my declaimer level patrons, and you can see me drafting and leave comments in real time. Um, so that might be interested for interesting for some of you who are really interested to see the. The, the writing process from uh, from square one uh, and uh, I'll also read a message from all of my declaimer subscribers once per quarter on the podcast or I'll throw it in the newsletter so you want to give someone a shout out or maybe you're a writer and you'd like me to uh, you know plug whatever your current project is you can join the declaimer tier and get a shout out on the uh, the podcast or newsletter each quarter and if you're a declaimer you also get your name right on the podcast this week and i have had my first declaimer subscription uh diane thanks for your uh pledge at the declaimer level really appreciate the support uh so again patreon.com slash if you are interested in that um the short story i'm working on now uh quite different from Spoken Book Surprising, or probably more science fiction or science fantasy. Um, it's about an organization that uh, has time-traveling agents, and they fix uh, anomalies in time. So uh, it's kind of an opportunity for me to visit both entirely fictional settings and also uh, kind of uh, historical settings where maybe something has gone wrong with history and it needs to be fixed. And as I've been saying, there are also these mysterious... Uh, martial artists in red space suits in the story so uh <laughs> i'll be putting a small preview of uh, the short story uh, i think in next week's newsletter so dtkane.com slash email dash sign up if you'd like to uh, uh subscribe to the newsletter so you can get those weekly updates um you always get the free fantasy quote of the week and my photos of the week as well in addition to uh lots of deals on free books uh both by me and by other authors. So plenty of reason to subscribe. It's not just a, a weekly advertisement. I try to give you some content that I hope you find enjoyable. Uh, you can also just go to dtkane.com and the email sign-up is pretty obvious once you're on the homepage there. Um, okay, uh, other than that, you know, as I said, summer is winding down here, unfortunately. I took a nice train ride last weekend through scenic western New York and doing a bit of a beer tasting uh, on the train ride there as well. So that was fun. The uh, the Arcade and Attica Railroad for anyone interested. Uh, it's mostly just a... I don't know if they actually ship any goods on that railway anymore. but uh, And they definitely do rides every every weekend in the, uh, in the summer and fall for, for just uh, recreational purposes. So it's a, it's a good time and... Uh, I do have to sometimes remind myself that, you know, as much as I want to get done all of my 
projects that I got brewing in my head. And, you know, I've also got the day job. So in, in some ways it's like working two jobs. You know, one of them I really enjoy, that being the writing and the podcast. The other, um, I work with great people, but the job itself is eh, not too much passion for it. Um, but between those two, I tend to be pretty busy. But uh, I think it's a good reminder for everyone, you know, make sure you don't, uh, make sure you don't go too crazy with the work. You sometimes got to slow down and enjoy things, particularly if you're like me and you live in a climate where you don't have the nice warm weather year round. So when it's here, you got to take time to enjoy it. So uh, uh, if you need to hear it, you know, don't feel guilty about slowing down and having some fun and relaxation every once in a while. Um, I say that as a reminder as much for myself as for anyone out there, but, uh, you know, if one person listening uh, is helped by that, then uh, then it's worth mentioning. Uh, all right, so that's just about all here. Um, we will close with our fantasy quote of the week, as we always do. Um, this week's was submitted by Chris S. So, Chris, thanks for submitting uh, a quote. I love when people uh, interact with me and, and, and submit their ideas that I can share on the podcast here. And, uh, you know, as I say each week, if you have a favorite fantasy quote, uh, email me dtkane at dtkane.com and I may feature it in the fantasy quote of the week section and write my weekly uh, short little essay about it. So again, thank you, Chris S., for submitting this week's quote, which is from uh, Mr. Steven Erickson's book, Dead House Gates. That's one of the Malazan Book of the Fallen uh, titles. Uh, so the quote is, Mockery is just hates patina, and every laugh is vicious. All right. <clears throat> and then uh, my little essay here. Judgment. Something we pretend not to do, but that everyone does on a daily basis. The clothes she wears, the way he acts, the opinions another holds. It's not something to be ashamed of. In many instances, our brain passes judgment before we're even conscious it's doing so. What we ought to be ashamed of, though, is permitting those snap judgments to dictate how we act. Quite often, when we look down on another, it has nothing to do with them. Rather, it's because something about that person has touched upon an insecurity we ourselves possess. We turn our noses at someone's clothes because we have a poor self-image. We condemn another's actions because, deep down, we fear the risk of failure that accompanies action. We chastise an opinion because we don't have the courage to admit we haven't a clue. Judgments are everywhere, and sometimes acting on them is even necessary. But unless you've walked into a bear or are diving away from a speeding car, judgments are a beginning, not an end. The next time you think to criticize, stop and ask yourself, what does that criticism say about me? You might just learn something about yourself and gain a newfound appreciation for another. All right, there is that week's or this week's quote of the week and my little essay there. Hope you enjoyed that or found something of value in it. 
Um, and that's all I've got for today. So until next time, this has been DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author, or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.